Hello and welcome to the first installment of the Jump Get Unstuck video-based workshop series. I've been delivering, delivering this workshop in person over the last year or so, and each time it's been about uh, four weeks long, and each session has been a couple hours or so in terms of duration. We're going to compress that down and deliver it to you in pieces so you have the opportunity to get the benefit of the workshop without having to watch me for uh, 12 hours here on the video. So this uh, workshop happens to be best if you can do it, uh, actually uh, participate with others along the way. It can work if you do it on your own, but I found that if you're willing to or able to maybe plug this into your job seeking uh, support groups, um, work with a, another fellow uh, seeker, um, or even with friends or family, it can be quite successful for you too. So I encourage you to be sitting with someone else as you go through the process of uh, watching these videos and also the exercises that I'll have you do as well. It'll um, help in many ways. It's a transformational sort of experience for you, I believe. Um, a little bit of the platform, uh, I mentioned this too in the introductory video. I've helped, I don't know, hundreds of people, I'm not sure what the number is at this point, uh, successfully navigate a career life transition. Uh, they tend to be both in my mind. You, you, you do one with the other as opposed to doing one without the other. You find that uh, a career transition will spark a life transition and often going through some sort of life transition causes you to think uh, maybe even act upon a career change too. This workshop is focused on those that are unemployed, um, either just recently or in, in the case of many people that, that have been participants, it's been a while uh, that you've been out of work and you're maybe run out of, uh, of energy and inspiration and hope and, and so on. Maybe you're looking for something completely new. It also works for people that are underemployed. Uh, those that have gone back to work if they've been unemployed for a while often find themselves in a situation that's different. And it also works for those that are unhappily employed. And I think among the three categories, it can really uh, mean most uh, folks out there right now. Uh, I heard a statistic about a month ago, something like that, that one in three Americans in the beginning uh, of 2011 are are ready to move to a different position as soon as the economy changes. One in three, that's, that's a significant number of people that will move to a different employment situation once they have other options available to them. So uh, I guess the first concept that I want to kind of bring forward is uh, there, there are probably three different categories that you fit into outside of being unemployed, uh, underemployed, or unhappily employed. Three different ways of thinking right now, and I'm going to use this throughout the workshop to continue to come back to what your choices might look like. First, uh, I know there's some of you out there that are in the, in the category of, of survival, um, just making it, just, uh, just being able to be one step ahead of foreclosure, one step ahead of the bills that are there. And I don't want to minimize uh, the situation there that can be very, very difficult. It's just, it can be uh, very debilitating the longer you think in survival mode. And after a while, you really can become disheartened and sort of give up. Um, I, I, I want to address that group specifically. We'll talk about some, uh, some ideas there. But I don't want to minimize the fact that survival is a very uh, difficult and challenging place to be. I understand. I have spent time in survival mode myself. 
I don't know if you've ever put your house payment on a credit card. Uh, I have. Uh, they will take it. They'll be happy to take your money that way, but it's not the preferred approach to doing it. Um, I have put credit or put house payments on credit cards two or three months in a row. Uh, so those of you that are there, I understand, and it's a difficult place to be. Uh, another group uh, that might that's out there probably fits into the category of you're looking for something to help deliver more success or, or a higher level of satisfaction from a, a lifestyle or income kind of perspective. And you look at your viewpoint of being underemployed or unhappily employed, meaning you'd really like to get more success in what you're doing. This workshop will apply for you as well. It'll give you new choices and options to think about there. And then the third group is um, you've been there. The success, the satisfaction is something that you have delivered already. It is the um, significance that you're looking for, making a mark on the world, leaving a legacy, doing something uh, for others as opposed to doing something for yourself. Now, all three, it's perfect wherever you find yourself. Um, wherever you are is where you are. I, I, I'm not going to say, well, you need to be in one particular category or, an, or another. Uh, where you are is where you are. And I want to address all three and give you the opportunity to say, no matter where I am, I have hope, I have the ability to move forward, I can see things in a new way and deliver some new results. Um, one other thing that I'm going to talk about too in this workshop is from time to time I'm going to bring in resources and connect you to different places that will give you the ability to be better at resume writing, for example, or interview skills, or, or those kinds of things. I, I'm not going to spend much time here about that at all. Um, I have friends, I have connections, I have resources that I'm aware of out there that do a very good job with that. Um, and I'll plug them in at, uh, at times, uh, give you websites to look at, uh, maybe even some video clips here and there uh, from others as well as we do this workshop moving forward. So uh, don't look for me to provide a whole lot of information about how to write the right resume or how to interview better. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to get you focused, I'm going to get you clear, I'm going to get you specific, and I'm going to give you the op opportunity to take a look at new choices, new options, and so on. So, from time to time over here on, on this uh, uh, flip chart, you'll be seeing uh, a slide show up. There's a uh, companion set of uh, PDF-based slides that go along with this workshop. Um, be following along. I'll refer to those from time to time. Uh, and there'll also be some cutaways every now and then, like I said, to other things, website pages, uh, maybe even some videos and so on. So we'll kind of start with this notion of what questions are you asking on an ongoing basis? Uh, to me, questions drive outcome like nothing else. Are you asking great questions? Well, great questions are the things that create great answers, or the potential for great answers. And one of my favorites, in fact, maybe it is my favorite big question, is this. Uh, how long, or how often, or how many times uh, during the day, or the last month, or, or the last year, have you asked yourself the question, what if? It's a very powerful question because what it does is it changes the energy, uh, your energy, completely. I find a lot of people ask the question, what now? Or 
what else? Or uh, why me? You know, those kind of questions are very low energy, and what they do is they tend to keep you augured in or keep you stuck. The question that shifts things is, what if? Think about what might be possible. Dream about the future as opposed to being worried and concerned and just stuck uh, in the present. So, what if is a huge question. Take a look at this picture here. You can, you can see it. Um, what, what is this? What do you think this is? Well, I'm going to stop now. We're going to cut away to a video, and you're going to see some very, very different thinking when it comes to what's possible. Hi, I'm Scott Brusaw. We're sitting in the electronics lab of Solar Roadways here in Sagal, Idaho. I'm going to show you a PowerPoint presentation we finished about an hour ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're going to be our guinea pigs. you got thousands and thousands of miles of unused, you know, these roads are collecting heat anyways. This thing collects the power and it stores it. There's 25,000 square miles roughly as of 1990 or 2003 in the lower 48 states. If we covered that with solar panels, just a 15% efficiency, we produce more electricity than this country uses and three times more electricity than we use on an annual basis. And that's almost enough to power the entire world. The history of the solar roadways, you would ask me about uh, what I'm doing in Idaho. It actually goes back to 1961 when I met my wife. And we were three and four years old at the time. When we were kids, we had slot cars, HO track cars. And I always thought it'd be neat as a kid to have electrified roads. So then kids can drive on if you have a slot. That was my brilliant idea back when I was probably six. Years later, we got married and we kept hearing about global warming. Never paid a whole lot of attention to it. It just kind of registered in the back and I kept thinking, somebody's going to fix this. Why isn't anybody fixing it? I'm not hearing any solutions at all. So we started looking into it. We got Al Gore's movie, the book, and Julie asked me once, she says, can't you take your electric roads and make them out of solar panels? And at first I laughed. I said, you can't drive on a solar panel. But then I started thinking about it. So you could build a frame the solar panel would fit inside and drive on it. So I started checking into it. That's how we got where we're at today. It's actually a 32 by 32 array of solar cans, something about the size of a Campbell soup can. And inside here is your solar collector, your LEDs, yellow and white LEDs to paint the lines from beneath, and your electronics. And your storage, a storage capacitor to store the power. Now what this road does, what you saw there, is it lights it up from underneath like a, like a runway. There's no guessing where that shoulder is. You're right, it's like playing a video game, you're driving right down the center. I went to the University of Dayton where I received a master's degree in electrical engineering and they sent me the quarterly alumni newspaper and said they are now the number three materials research lab in the nation. So this past February I went back and talked to them about the top layer which would have to be glass. They said yeah they can make that. They said it might take years, might take millions of dollars but you can make anything out of glass. And I gave them the specs, I said you know we got to have, uh, it's got to be have the same traction as asphalt, has to be strong enough to support a fully loaded semi truck locking them up at 80 miles an hour has to be shatterproof, fireproof, transparent enough to allow the sunlight through but not to allow the glare back into the driver's eyes. I gave him all these specs. They didn't even bat an eye. I said, yeah, we can do that. This is an older drawing showing how the electricity and the phone and everything runs actually through the road panels. You can power your street lamps, your street lights, everything from the road itself. Your whole road is an electric grid. It becomes, it replaces all your power poles. So we've got an aging infrastructure right now. I heard where the average poles out there are about 42 years old. They're not supposed to last that long. So we've got to redo all that anyways. So along comes the solar road where you're connecting these things together and it becomes your grid. It delivers the power right to your front door along with cable TV, high-speed internet access, your telephone, 
everything right there. This is a bird's eye view where you're, you've got a restaurant here and a grocery store. Their parking lots would provide their power along with the whole solar grid. Homes the same way are connected by their driveways. We looked up on the internet how, how much an asphalt road costs. And our best number we came up with was $16 a square foot. And that's based on a road that's designed to last seven years. So if we can make road panels last 21 years, and there's nothing in it that can't last that long, then we can multiply that $16 a square foot by three, come in at $48 a square foot, and still break even. Now that doesn't include what the electricity you get back out of it. Based on that, a solar road panel, my target price is about $10,000 a panel. The, the technology behind it has already been done to death. I'm just taking a lot of different technologies, making something new out of it. It's not, it's not space age stuff, it really isn't, except for that glass sheet that hasn't been made yet, but they tell me it's, it's not a problem. The problem is going to be getting the Department of Transportation, the Department of Energy, the Department of Homeland Security, all these departments to agree to change their specs and their regulations and work together. Because now who's going to be in control of the road now? Who's going to charge the electricity? Who's going to manufacture it? Who's going to install it? All that has to be changed. We're going to get rid of nuclear power plants. We're going to get rid of coal-fired power plants. And all the money, this thing's cost a billion dollars a piece to build. All of that can be rolled back into the solar roadway system. So, so what do you think? Isn't that an interesting solution to some significant challenges that we face here? It really required some different ways of looking at potential options, use of resources, uh, breaking down barriers associated with cost and acceptability and so on. It's, a, it's an interesting, creative, innovative working uh, way of looking at things. Uh, and I want to challenge you just a little bit. Right here, right now, how much time do you spend looking at possibilities, choices, options, as opposed to limitations that face your life. Well, one thing you're going to know about me as you go through this process is I tend to look at the world a little bit differently. In fact, some people think I'm a little strange, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, one of the principles that I'll use is the principle of quantum physics, and I'll be very, um, very high level about it. That, in fact, is my understanding of it. I am not a physicist. But I've come to understand that quantum physics is the science of possibilities. In fact, if we were to measure the physical location of an electron in a confined space, let's say in the room that you're sitting in, if you were to measure where, the, where an electron is in that room, the formulas would say it exists everywhere simultaneously. Sounds weird, right? Sounds impossible, but that's what the formulas say. In fact, it exists in waves of potential or possibilities everywhere simultaneously. Now, it's more likely to be found in certain places, but the possibility it could be found anywhere, in fact, everywhere simultaneously, is what's included in quantum physics. Now, it isn't until we choose it, until we intend it, until we observe it, that it pops into physical form or we're able to measure its physical location. And to me, this is an analog or a metaphor for our choices. As you sit where you are watching this video, all of your choices exist simultaneously, every single one. The high energy, what if, let me think differently about it, what might be possible for me choices, 
as well as the choices that you can that many continue to 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 to, to choose which are the low energy what now why me what else kind of questions that people ask so Bear with me on this. The science of quantum physics tells us that all of our possibilities exist simultaneously. Which ones are you choosing and why? So I kind of have five things that I want you to, to think about in terms of a to-do list as we go through this workshop. The first one has to do with being open to new possibilities, allowing them even to exist. So it comes down to what's in your frame of reference, what's available for you. If you're just stuck doing the same old thing, counting the ball going back and forth, there may be something that's trying to get through that you're not even aware of. So we need to be open to new possibilities, like the AT&T thing here. It said expand the possibilities of can, as opposed to looking at what you can't. The next thing that we're going to take a look at is getting clear about your options. All of us have used the phrase at one point in our life that said, be careful what you ask for because that's what you're likely to get, right? All of us have used that. Um, I've changed that. I've changed it to say, be clear about what you're asking for because that's what you're likely to get. So I'm going to help you with that too. There are a million choices out there, billion choices out there. Which ones are the best one for you in your given circumstance? Survival, satisfaction or success or significance? Um, unemployed, which of all of these potential choices has the, uh, has the uh, ability to put you in the place of what I call maximum potential? Which are the best choices for you? Let's get clear about that. And then third, we need to get moving forward. Again, I'm going to use principles of physics from time to time, and Newton's first law of motion is an object at rest will tend to stay at rest, unless it's uh, influenced by an outside force. We need to get a force for you that will allow you to get moving forward. It's easy to move sideways or backwards. We want you to move forward. So that, that's the third thing that we're going to do on the, on the um, uh, to-do list in this workshop. The third, uh, I'm sorry, the fourth thing is focusing on not only getting ahead, but staying ahead. It's one thing to have a lot of energy and change and get moving and, and use all the, the tools and processes you might uh, learn someplace to get you moving. But unless you stay moving, you have the potential of slipping right back into the same old ways of thinking. Uh, I call that the tar pits of our oblivion. Um, we're hulking our tired carcasses towards the tar pits of oblivion. What we need to do instead is to get past our status quo biases, our, our, our limiting beliefs, and really create sustainable change, a positive visionary. So we're going to focus on that too. And then the fifth thing is, is to look at this as a joyful, high energy, positive sort of outcome and create those kind of results. It's possible for us to have uh, more suffering and more low energy if we want to, but let's do it differently. Let's focus on having positive, enduring, visioning, uh, visionary type of outcomes. So, let's shift now into uh, a different sort of way of thinking. I want to give some evidence from, uh, from someone that I have come to really respect over the years. He's written a book. It's called Deep Survival. 
um, who lives, who dies, and why. And maybe it's a bit a bit of a gruesome title, but what he's done is he's studied boating accidents and climbing accidents and airplane crashes and those kinds of things. And looking at it from a physiological perspective, the human body can live for more than 48 hours, generally speaking, without food or water. Right? It's, um, it's, it's something that we can do. We can make it for a while. It'd be unpleasant, certainly. We would be dehydrated and darn hungry, but our body can make it. It's a disproportionate percentage of people that their bodies fail during that first 48 hours. And he studied the reasons why behind it. Now, I'm not going to ruin the story for you. I recommend this book to you highly. Um, the basic principle that he comes down to is this. Uh, survival really has very little to do or little to do with uh, our age or our training or experience. Uh, those things can help. But the primary reason why we survive is because we choose to, because we want to. And the way that that happens is we adapt to our new circumstances quickly. It isn't waiting for things to come back to normalcy. It isn't hoping that someone just shows up with a silver platter to make things work out for us. It's the normal that we're in now is the normal that's for us right now. No more dreaming, no more wishing, no more uh, bargaining, pleading. We need to adapt to our circumstances as they exist now. In fact, one of the things he also talks about is people, when they get rescued, those that have adapted to their new circumstances, those that become rescued, almost find it to be an interruption that they don't prefer. They get angry in some cases that they're being interrupted in their new normal. The rescue is something that's uninvited. So let me just ask you, in your current circumstance, how much of your time do you spend uh, worrying or hoping or wishing that things would be different than they are? As opposed to saying, here's where I am, here's what my circumstances are, I need to adapt to it now and give me a chance to move forward into a new way of thinking. It's transformational all by itself. Adapt to your current situation rapidly. Okay, the next thing that we're going to talk about has to do with this change process. This, um, it's a little bit like the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, grieving and death cycle. That's some of the connection with deep survival. Uh, people that start on this process, there's a, a point in time where they decide to do something which is down here. So I've sort of adapted it from organizational change, psychology, uh, the principle of change for individuals, and this grieving and death cycle that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has shared with us many, many years ago. So the first thing that we get into when change is presented to us is the feelings of denial. Um, denial, I think, is a very, very sticky, very hard-to-get-past sort of human condition because we choose to look the other way. We, we, we choose to believe things are different than they are. So think about a simple example. Somebody cuts you off on your drive to work. First thing we do is we go into denial. We say, I can't believe that happened. And then we uh, go a little bit further, many of us, and what happens next is we get angry. It's like, I can't believe this happened. What are you thinking? And that's where road rage comes in. You know, I don't know if you've seen examples of it or not. I saw an extraordinary example of it a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it's merging into lanes, and the, the, the lane is ending, and two cars needed to kind of come together, and you could just sort of see it play out in front. Neither one was going to blink. It was a game of chicken. 
Uh, and it got to the point where they just about ran into each other before one vehicle finally backed off. Well, he didn't want to back off. He got mad. And what he did is once the road opened up again to two lanes, he got right next to that person, took out whatever this giant beverage they had, one of these huge cups of, uh, of soda, and you could see him hurl it through the window and it just splashed all over this car. And then he's throwing, um, I mean, he's sticking his hand out the window, communicating in a nonverbal way, screaming, carrying on. It was really ugly, and it went on for about a half a mile. Now, that's the perspective of someone who is stuck in anger. Denial? I can't believe that happened. Anger? I'm going to throw my soda at you. Well, anger is a necessary part of this, but it's not the place to get stuck. So certainly if you've lost your job, the first thing that happens is you feel... Uh, denial about it. I can't believe that. 20 years with this organization. Look at all my skills. I'm a good person. We start with that. And then we get angry about it. I can't believe they did this. Now most of us don't act on those feelings of anger, but some do. So if you're angry, it's normal. But get past it. The next thing that happens after we get angry is we go into this bargaining posture. Um, uh, it's a little bit like if I'm if I take a pay cut, can I stay? Or it's the old, um, if I quit swearing or quit drinking or whatever, we've heard stories about that, life will then change for us. Well, the problem associated with that is that that's not real. That's not adapting to our current circumstances. It's, it's wishing for things to be different. And in the context of a plane crash or a boating accident, it's like uh, just you get lost in the woods. It's like, if I keep walking, eventually I'm going to find something. Well, maybe you're going in circles and you don't know it. Maybe the, the right thing to do is to say, I'm here now. This is not what I prefer. But instead of bargaining or wishing or hoping, it's adapting. And then at the bottom here is this notion of skepticism or despair. Uh, it it, it may, may sound a bit sadistic even, but as a consultant, as a facilitator, what I try to do is to move individuals and groups to this notion of despair or skepticism as quickly as I can. Why? Not because I'm sadistic. It moves you through the denial and anger and bargaining phase to a point where you have the opportunity to move forward. You're willing to go up. Now you can certainly go back and revisit parts of it, but now you're ready to think about moving forward. And if you see here, the first step up is not the heavens open, the answer is perfect, it's the exact thing that you're looking for. No, new choices are being presented to you. And the word testing to me means this. You say yes when I ask you this question. Can you live with it? Not is it perfect, not uh, there are no other options out there that are better than this one, but can, I, can you live with it? And I want to stop and sort of ask you, can you live with the idea of looking at new possibilities? Part of the challenge that I see in those that are chronically unemployed is they keep looking for the same position. And coming out of the world of IT 10 or 12 years ago, we had a massive reduction in the number of job, jobs that were available, especially in the United States, in the world of IT. The jobs disappeared. Or they moved uh, several thousand miles away to a different country. Uh, you can do that job, but you're going to get paid 15-20% of what you get paid here in the United States. So the issue is, quit looking for the same position because it doesn't exist anymore.
So the chronically unemployed, that's something that tends to happen quite often. So in order to move forward, let's think about new possibilities. Are you open to that? Can you live with it? And then as new possibilities come forward, we have the opportunity then to invest ourselves in it, to agree with it. That's where agreement is. I choose that. And then advocacy. Gosh, this is the greatest thing. I don't know why I waited so long. This uh, process of losing my job is one of the best things that's happened to me. And then finally, moving up to uh, uh, evangelism. <laughs> You're talking to people like they should be doing something about changing their job situation too. Anyway, the whole notion of change here is a repeatable, consistent uh, process. You're in the middle of it. You need to know it's normal. Each of these stages are normal. But don't be stuck there. Move through them. You may revisit. It may take a while. It may be harder to get out of one from the, up from the other. But there is hope here. So we've shared a fair amount of background information, the process of getting stuck, what that looks like, where you might be uh, in terms of survival, um, success or satisfaction, moving into significance, some of the ways that change feels to us, the whole notion of survival and, and who lives, who dies, and why. One more time as I close this segment, this works best if you're able to participate with someone else. And I'd like to give you some homework now uh, as you talk to that someone else or someone's else, if you're doing this at a coffee shop, you're doing this over dinner, you're doing it uh, in some sort of a, a setting, it could be real, across Skype, whatever you want to do, I, I want to give you this homework. I, I, I want to have you consider, think about you uh, personally, and then talk to the other person or persons that you're working with about this change cycle. How does it feel to you? How often have you felt uh, the feelings of denial or, or anger or, or bargaining or despair when it comes to your job situation? What, what triggers um, are there in order for you to move from one stage to the other? Have you gone backward on this change cycle at all? So I'd like for you to, to consider that as your homework assignment, to take an hour, take a week, whatever is uh, right for you, but do that before you come back and watch the next uh, segment in this video workshop series. So I hope this is providing value to you. If you'd like to um, uh, send me along comments or so on, I'd appreciate that. Visit our website at www.liveunstuck.com. Thanks very much for stopping by.